Can I tell you about my worst vacation? <laughs> my, uh, my family vacation that would make Chevy Chase proud. Um, I'm country boy, most of you know that. And one year, I think it was the summer of 94, I decided to take my family to the city of Chicago. And my oldest son was a White Sox fan, and, and uh, that was back in the day of Frank Thomas the Big Hurt, hitting home runs left and right, and he was Andy's hero. So we headed and got tickets to Comiskey Park and headed to Chicago and went to the game. It was a great game, and after the game, we were planning to go to Museum of Science and Industry, to the Charlie Shed, or the Shedd Aquarium, and to... Uh, Oh, Soldier Field, Sears Tower, and then we were going to go north into Wisconsin to Wisconsin Dells and lots of great places. Just a wonderfully planned vacation. The game went great. Frank Thomas hit a home run. My kid was satisfied and happy to see it, but it went downhill from there. Uh, went out in the parking lot at Comiskey Park at about 10 o'clock at night, and uh, about two hours later, I discovered that I was lost in the heart of Chicago at at about 11.30, and, and it wasn't in a very good location. We, were, we didn't feel real safe, and so that was day one. And day two started out trying to find our way to the Museum of Science and Industry, and I had a lot of helpful people along the way who were giving me hand gestures concerning my farmer uh, country driving. <laughs> that didn't help a whole lot. And I'm not going to explain it, but just suffice it to say, the next thing you know, our family was inadvertently... Uh, marching in a pride parade in Chicago. <laughs> and that was day two. And then uh, day three, we were headed north on, north on Lakeshore Drive, and we wanted to get some groceries because we were going to pack a lunch for, uh, for our trip into Wisconsin. And we saw a grocery store that looked like a grocery store. It had a uh, kind of a high fence around it, but the gate was open. And so we thought, well, uh, we'll go in there and get some groceries. And and uh, so we were buying our groceries, and, and I looked around, and I saw a GI every here and there, and I thought, well, no big deal. And uh, got all of our groceries, got up to the counter, and they said, can we see your ID? So I pulled out my billfold and showed them, my, no, can we see your military ID? <laughs> I said, what? I said, I'll pay cash. They said, no, this is a military commissary. I don't know how you got in here. <laughs> Have you ever been escorted out of a grocery store? <laughs> with two pre-teenage boys who before that time thought you knew everything and a, a wife who knew better <laughs> and informed me so. It, it was a quite a trip. And I still remember, I still remember the feeling walking out of that grocery store of being an alien and a stranger in my own country. And... You know, the Bible says that we are aliens and strangers where we live. This world really isn't our home. In fact, that day, I didn't, I didn't understand the culture of the city. I didn't even understand some of the language of the city. I didn't even understand all of the hand signals in the city. And my currency wasn't even any good. I couldn't even buy groceries. And so I still remember the feeling of being a stranger of being alone and not being able to be heard or not. And, you know, most of us grew up in an era where uh, the Christian church had a voice, had a significant voice in how 
in the morality and the ethics and even the political debate of a country, and those times are gone. In fact, Pastor Kevin is going to be leading us in the next ministry year with a teaching series on flourishing in exile. And I was just thinking about that as, as I pondered this worst vacation and how it felt to be strangers and foreigners. And, and as, as Kevin begins to teach us about being strangers and foreigners and being in exile, that there is a way to flourish. And as we were thinking and praying about this series for the month of August, we decided that it would be good before we go into the land of exile to remind ourselves of the promises of God. And so during the month of August, we're going to do that. And um, if I could have the next slide or the first slide there. Uh, through the month of August today, I'm going to be talking about the promise of the rainbow. And it's about, a little bit about the promise of salvation, some of the basics. Next week, Reverend Eddie Alleman is going to be preaching to us about the promise of the Spirit from Acts 1 verse 8. And then Keith is going to be speaking for a couple of weeks about God's specific promises to us as the church collectively and to us as individuals. And then on the first Sunday in September, I'll be preaching on the promise of the harvest. And we just want to remind ourselves as a church family that even though we go into a foreign land, even though we are in exile, the promises of God are still intact, the promises of God are still valid, and we can still take them to the bank. That is how we live our lives in a world of exile, by standing on the promises of God. There was a, there's an Old Testament character by the name of Abraham, and Hebrews chapter 7 gives an interesting description of Abraham. He had just met Melchizedek, who was a very mysterious figure from the Bible. I haven't heard of a theologian yet who had figured Melchizedek out. We don't know if he was an angel or who he was, but the Bible simply says he was a high priest from Salem, and Abraham met him and paid him a tenth, gave him a tithe. And then Melchizedek, you can read about it in Hebrews 7, Melchizedek blessed Abraham who had the promises. And you have to understand at this time, Abraham didn't have a home. He was looking for a city whose maker was God. He was on the run, on traveling to try to find God's location. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a son. But he had the promises, the promises that God had given him. And that leads me to believe that we can actually possess substantive collateral, kingdom collateral when we hold on to the promises of God. And so that's what we're going to be discovering over the next month. In fact, uh, Back at the, at the welcome booth, uh, in the middle of the night this morning, I had this idea about kingdom collateral, and I thought, well, that's kind of a cool thought, that God's promises are like money in the bank. If we possess the promises, we have, we have a balance sheet that won't quit. And so what I, I prepared back there just a printout, it's called kingdom collateral, and it lists some of our assets. <laughs> Some of the promises that we have out of the 7,000 that God has given us in this book, I've listed 16 of them and the scriptures that you can find them in. So not only do we have kingdom collateral, then on the bottom I have kingdom currency. You know what the kingdom currency is? The fruit of the Spirit. When we have a foundation on God's promises, we can begin to interact, even though we're in exile, even though we're in a foreign land with the currency, we can give out the, the fruit of the Spirit wherever we go. We can give out love, joy, peace. Even when we're in captivity, we can give out patience, long-suffering, 
goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Against such there is no law, Paul says. So kingdom collateral is the promises of God. Kingdom currency are the fruits of the Spirit. And we will be looking at those in great detail all through this next month and through the ministry year. Now, like I said, today we're going to talk about the promise of the rainbow. So if I could uh, have the next slide. No symbol is more closely associated with promise than the rainbow. But before we talk about the promise of the rainbow, we've got to discover its purpose. Why did God put the rainbow in the sky? Now, all of us who went to vacation Bible school growing up, we can all answer that, can't we? Why did God put the rainbow there? Somebody shout it out. Promise never to destroy the earth again by, by the flood, right? By water. Okay, that's the way we learned it in Sunday school. I'm going to give you a little different twist on that today in just a moment. But yeah, it's a promise that he would never destroy the world again. But I want us to look in Scripture of why it was necessary. I have three bullet points here. First of all, as we look in Genesis chapter 6, I don't have a page number, but I ask you to turn there in your pew Bible if you can. The first reason for the rainbow, as we look into the context, was that evil was rampant. Evil was rampant. And in Genesis chapter 6, we read these words, starting with verse 5, I believe. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. I'm going to read that again. Isn't that a, quite a description of Noah's day? The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, I always thought that in the, when I heard about Noah and the flood and the population of earth at that time, I was, I was probably a few thousand people. That's five, five chapters into the good book. There can't be too many people around then, right? But most theologians who have studied this because of the age that people lived and the families that they had, that by the sixth chapter of Genesis, there were nearly one to three billion, with a B, inhabitants of planet Earth. And every imagination of his heart was only evil continually. Can you imagine what a dark place that must have been? And out of those one to three billion people, only Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I used to talk to my boys about this, and if I, when I was a youth, youth leader, I talked about this often. And I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to be unsympathetic towards students in school. This is kind of the student section over this direction. But I used to tell my boys, you guys think you got it bad? You got 10 Christians out of 50 in your class, or 20 Christians out of 50 in your class, and you think you got it bad? Think about Noah. He was, think about Noah's boys. Can you imagine their, what, they, what they heard when they went to school? One person out of three billion who found favor with God, and Shem, Ham, and Japheth have to go to school and listen to the, kid, the other kids. So, Shem, what's dad doing this week? Ha, ha, ha. He's building a boat. Why is he building a boat? Well, it's going to rain. It's never rained before. Hey, Japheth, what's dad up to this week? Is he still preaching? He's been doing that how many hundred years? 
you imagine the persecution and the ridicule that Noah's boys got? And yet, Noah stood firm as a, for 120 years preaching the gospel without one single convert. Wow. It was a dark time. Evil was rampant. Jesus said in Matthew 24, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving in marriage right up until the day that Noah entered the ark. They were living life without regard for the judgments of God. Does that remind you of where we live today? Living without regard for the judgment of God. So, the first reason that the rainbow came about was because evil was rampant. And the second bullet point here is that God was holy and just. In the very next verses, I want you to listen to the emotions of Creator God. And in verse 6, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. We don't talk about this story very often because it's kind of uncomfortable. The wrath of God and the holiness of God are tried to be, are tried to, we try to explain them away sometimes. In fact, I was listening, uh, doing some research this week and a theologian told, was trying to explain and did so quite eloquently actually that the wrath of God is only a metaphor in Scripture. And I thought about it for a little while and I thought if the wrath of God is only a metaphor, then why the cross? Because the cross, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but the cross was the only way to satisfy the justice of God. That is the only way that our sins could have been atoned. And God did the same thing here for Noah. He, provi- he judged the world, he judged sin, but he offered grace in the ark. He offered grace, and God never judges without offering grace and an escape from his judgment. He did so then. So evil was rampant. God was holy and just. And third, God established covenant, and he sealed it with a sign. And for this, we're going to turn to uh, chapter 9. After they'd got off the boat one year later, God initiated a covenant with Noah. And he said, starting with verse 12 of chapter 9, God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. <clears throat> Excuse me. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and life on the earth. Like I said earlier, I've always heard the story that the rainbow was so that we could remember that we would never be destroyed by a flood. But if you read those verses a little more closely, two times in those verses, God says, when I see 
the bow in the clouds, I will remember the covenant I made with man. You ever thought of it that way before? Why did God need a reminder? Why did Almighty God need a reminder in the sky? Is he that forgetful? No. We're that much of a mess. I'm convinced, and I believe that it's all throughout Scripture, that God cannot tolerate our sin. We live in an age of toleration where we overlook. In fact, it says in Acts chapter 17, this is a New Testament verse, by the way, it says, in the past God winked at our ignorance, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. You see, I I picture God in heaven, and I'm, I'm serious about this, I picture God in heaven looking down on a broken earth, with all of the sin that is rampant around us, and when the rainbow appears in the clouds, he's reminding himself, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And I rejoice in the fact that our God is so intent on keeping his covenant that he gave himself a reminder so that we could be preserved from his wrath. Now, this is heavy stuff. It gets better. Hang with me, okay? Hang with me to the end. The rainbow was a sign in the clouds to remind us of evil, of holiness, justice, and most of all, of God's covenant. I want to show you a picture that a friend of a friend posted on Facebook, and I think it's a powerful picture. It's not photoshopped. I don't know how they caught this picture, but whenever I see this, I think of the justice of God and the grace of God. And I think of the New Testament scripture that says, and I caption this picture this way, mercy triumphs over judgment. Isn't that a neat picture? I'm just gonna leave that up there for the duration of the message this morning because I want us to see the protection that God provides against impending judgment. I'm going to transition now to current day, as glorious as is the promise of the rainbow. I'm here here to tell you today that the rainbow has its limitations. It may protect against a flood, but it's not effective against fire. Can I read you from God's Word today from 2 Peter chapter 3? I'm not going to make any comment on it. I'm just going to read it, okay? Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires, they will say, where is this coming he has promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has from the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. 
by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The, heavens will, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the fervent heat. And then I told you it was going to get better. Verse 13 but in keeping with his promise. Can we say that together? But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. We're not going to be strangers and foreigners forever, folks. We may be living in a bit of exile right now in our country, in our world, but one of these days we will live in a new heaven and a new earth that God establishes and we will be at home with him. But I want to make it clear this morning that the only way to that home is by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, that's the second sign that I want to talk to you about today. We talked about the rainbow. I want to take you back to Exodus chapter 12. And verse 12. I love the sound of Bible pages turning. Exodus 12 and verse 12. It's talking about the Passover. And this is what happened the night of the Passover to the children of Israel. On that same night, God is speaking here, on that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I destroy Egypt. Remember what we said about the rainbow? God says, when I see the rainbow, I will remember my covenant with you. New Testament, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. You are safe from God's judgment. I am totally and forever safe from God's judgment because and only because of the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from sin. In a moment, we'll have an opportunity during our worship time to receive communion uh, at your leisure at the front. I would like to encourage you to think about the significance of the blood of Christ and the sign of the covenant that that blood is to us. That's why Paul says no one should take it unworthily or without thinking through this significance and the seriousness of the holiness of God. What a great gift is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And we can, we can walk confidently but humbly in the presence of God only because of what he's done 
for us. I'm going to ask Mike if he would uh, come back up here now and prepare to lead us in worship again. On Calvary's cross, 2,000 and some years ago, once for all, Jesus' blood was shed so that you and I could inherit all of the promises of this book. I don't know if you remember on Palm Sunday, we talked about the fact that when Jesus died, when, when, there's, an, when there's a will, someone has to die before the inheritance is passed on. And we talked about on, on Palm Sunday that when Jesus died, it made it possible for the will, for the inheritance to be passed on to us. And so all of the 7,000 promises of God throughout this book, that's our inheritance. That's our collateral for living this Christian life. And those were passed on to us at the death of Jesus Christ. And so I want to just name a few of those this morning. And like I said earlier, uh, I've got this balance sheet out there at the welcome table. If you want to grab one, I think I've got enough about for each family to have one. These are just a few of the promises of God for us that we can rejoice in today because of the blood of Christ. Number one is sonship. John 1 verse 12. As many as received him, to them gave he the right, the power, the authority to become the children of God. Eternal life, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We would be protected from his judgment. Abundant life, John 10, verse 10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Holy Spirit empowerment, Acts 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Divine healing from James 5. Deliverance from Psalm 34. Provision from Philippians 4:19. For my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Answered prayer from Mark 11:24. Unlimited possibilities from Mark 9. All things work together. How many of you need that once in a while? All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes from Romans 8:28. Sufficient grace from 2 Corinthians 12. Perfect peace from Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. A Sabbath rest. It sounds good to me. A Sabbath rest from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. An eternal home from John 14. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. Last night, Deb and, uh, Deb and I were out at the Coline manufacturing facility where they had some great fireworks, but before the fireworks started, they let off 51 lanterns into the sky in memory of Lisa. And during, as those lanterns were going up toward heaven, uh, over the loudspeakers, someone was singing, singing, I can only imagine what it will be like. While I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you, be still, I can only imagine eternal home that he's prepared for us. That's part of our inheritance. That's part of our promise, folks. Don't forget it. Hang on to it wherever you go. And finally, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says all God's promises, no matter how many they are, it says all God's promises are yes and amen to those who trust in Christ. Mike's going to lead us by singing, "Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And any time during this worship time, if you 
uh, would like to remember and reenact the sacrifice that Christ made for us, please feel free to do that as we worship the Lord together.